2: The Lakers split a pair of games this weekend, losing an extremely aggravating game on Friday. I'm glad we didn't record after that one. And then getting a wire-to-wire victory over the Brooklyn Nets, who had been playing great basketball over the last five games. And if we're going to turn this ship around, Lakers currently sit at 3-10, and ten. I thought that this weekend had some elements to it that were very important that would be central to any turnaround that we might have. And none of them more important, D, than Anthony Davis's weekend. We were just talking before the pod. On Friday, he had like 24 and 14. I think he took 15 or 16 shots. But I think just the consensus amongst all of us, that we really liked his game. I thought his defense was okay. Not the best defensive game I'd seen him play, but he was dominant on on offense and still just such a presence on the boards and on defense. It's just his uh, standard is so high defensively, right? Um, And then this game against Brooklyn, he was... Just a monster. It was his best game of the season, 37 points, 18 boards, just really dominated the game. And so we got the first win of the Darius Soriano era with the Lakers. Uh, So kick us off, my man. Tell us what you saw this weekend and specifically
3: with AD. This is, I think, what is both so great about AD and what can be so frustrating about AD at the same time, to a certain extent. Like, there's a level of investment that we have in Anthony Davis' superstar. And when that player is that and lives up to that billing, um, which I think he has in a variety of ways this year um, mm-hmm. some of the second half stuff like when I kick it to Mike I, I, I'd i love for sort of Mike to synthesize that a little bit because he wrote about it in the lead up to the game but when AD plays to this level he looks like one of those dudes that's like oh yeah I remember this guy The guy who basically is like, oh, whoever's on the other side of me, that guy can't guard me. When it comes to defense, I'm everywhere. I am omnipresent as a help defender on the ball whenever I'm defending someone. It's like that dude feels like he has no chance at times, right? And even when he got some opportunities against Durant, I thought he made Durant's life as difficult as Durant's life can be when when he's Kevin Durant, right? Who still eight for 16 for 31 points and damn near perfect from the foul line and getting roughed up the entire game but there he is and ad was just like oh anything you can do i can do better right like you want to shoot from 15 feet out well i'm going to shoot from three feet out and i'm going to do that consistently and mike i thought that was the difference obviously like it sort of dumb to to say this but when one guy goes for 37 points and 18 rebounds and of those 18 rebounds 10 were on the offensive side of the ball and he shoots 25 times and what like two or three of those were from outside the paint it's a dominant performance from a player that looked like the best player on the court when he was sharing the court with a guy who's going to go down as one of the 10 best players ever. So it's like, that's the level that AD reached last night. And there are times where he's not at that level, but um, talk to us a little bit, Mike, about how AD seemingly coming into this weekend and this game specifically, he seemed to be on a mission to do this exact thing. And he had even told Darwin, like I got you. And so he backed up his words with his play on the court. And that's the player that the Lakers needed. And that's what AD provided.
1: Yeah. There's this tool that they give us for, uh, it's called NBA courtside. uh, And it's like a statistical login that updates live during the games. And and the one thing, one of the things I like the most about it, there's a shooting tab and it keeps the live uh, shot chart or like the spray chart. And so I was filling in for Ireland last night and calling the game with Michael and AD was just was starting you could clearly tell he had this purpose of going right to the hoop early and so i pulled out the shot chart and just kind of kept following it and then all of a sudden at halftime i'm kind of like wait how many he's only taken i think one jump shot and everything's in the paint and so that just kept building and by the end of the game it's 15 makes overall and 13 were in the paint and 23 attempts and 25 were in the paint and i don't remember an ad game ever that has a, a shot chart like that. I mean, you won't see shot charts like that from that are include that many attempts from almost anybody. Because Embiid and, and Jokic, like the high usage guys, they're taking a certain amount of jump shots too. And in most of the time, the defense is going to dictate that at least that has to be the case to some extent. Not so much with Brooklyn's defense because you know Claxton is a smaller center in terms of like he's a good rim protector. He averages over two blocks a, a, a game, which is second in the NBA. But not if you go right at him you know he's not that big he's just super athletic and they don't have a backup big that they really play they play like marquise morris or like durant slides over to play the five so they're a little bit like utah in that way a little bit like sacramento in that way versus some of the teams that ad has struggled more against that have that bigger center i just occupying that space and challenging everything to the point where he's almost going to be on the on the outside so it's kind of two things one it's that was great (laughs) like just give ad the credit he's what won in the game the mindset was terrific and the other thing is that this isn't going to happen every night uh, based in part on what other team's Mm -hmm. personnel is and what they're going to force the lakers into but when it presents itself it's terrific and i was kind of thinking the last time ad had just this good of an all-around game and that first half against gobert when he was kicking his ass last year before he turned his ankle uh, that was part of it. He had like 17 points on seven and nine from the field, a couple blocks, a steal. Like that was a, a dominant performance. And then there was the time that he kicked Embiid's ass um, at Philly, and that 14 to 21, 31 points. He had four blocks, most of them on Embiid, 12 boards. But this, in terms of mentality and mindset, was right up there. And then Darius, you had referenced the Darwin Ham thing, so I had asked AD or I asked Darvin about AD, obviously, in the post game, and he said, yeah. We had a long talk after the last game, and that immediately clicked into all of us in the room because it had taken both Darwin and AD longer to come talk to the media than I ever remember. And I mean, I'm talking like AD didn't come out for maybe an hour um, after the game to the point where we were seeing him like mm. rip the rip the um, the Laker wallpaper down on the outside, and there are just a few of us left, kind of waiting. And it sounds like what Darwin said—he he basically said. Yeah, I got your back. Like Darwin said, this I'm going to need a certain amount from you. Well, it's going I'm going to need a little bit more. Maybe it's more aggressive going to the rim, uh, and and that was part of it. And he certainly delivered. So Pete, what parts of that having now watched JD for a long time, you know, do you think are sustainable? And factoring into this, that LeBron likely back or at least hopefully back on Friday. Shooter and Bryant likely back. Maybe rotation changes a little bit. But what do you take from AD from this one and, and how does that apply moving forward?
2: Man, you hit so many great points in in that, Mike. Uh, the... I got you to Darvin. I I want to start there just because we're in a hole, We've been and we've been in a hole for a bit. And in those types of situations, it's really your superstars who can pick you up out of that. Even uh, LeBron, Pat Bev had made some comments in the locker room afterward, and Darvin spoke to this as well about how LeBron was really vocal at practice, and how they had, Pat Bev said that was one of their best practices of the year, was the day before the Sunday game on Saturday. And so... That level of LeBron stepping up, obviously not being able to play, but speaking to, you know, like leading uh, as a leader and then AD as an on-court leader, like they're the guys that can pull us out of this. They're the ones that their singular talents are so great that they can lift us up out on the court, but also off the court as leaders too. And so that... When I look at AD's weekend, we didn't get the result that we wanted on Friday, but I thought AD's leadership and just like that leading by example really stood out to me this weekend. And I wanted to start there. And from an on-court perspective, Mike, I love how you you know pointed out Brooklyn is a very small team, and particularly with the attribute of strength, they're a team that you can go through. A lot of their guys, when you look at their roster, even their taller players are kind of taller, skinny guys. And you referenced Claxton with that, right? But you also brought up how. AD, we've seen him, we've seen him uh, beat Joel Embiid, beat Jokic, beat Gobert. And those are guys that the manner in which he dominates in those performances is different than how he dominates a game like last night, where he's just like the biggest dude out there. But that's the thing is that AD, when he's got everything going, whatever your weakness is as the other team, he can beat that, right? Oh, you've got a big center that likes to protect the rim, that's great around the hoop, that maybe he's not going to be able to get 23 out of 25 field goal attempts around the rim, but he's going to slice and dice you on the perimeter, hitting you with ball handling moves and sidesteps and just like moves that those guys just don't guard. There are only a couple guys in the world that can do that and also be dominant inside, and AD is one of them. But- The difference to me between Friday and Sunday and kind of where I want to go from this – where I want to go from here, D, is I thought we did a way better job of getting him the ball on Sunday's game. And there was a great difference between the two. And so talk to us about like what was the difference in those two games in terms of getting AD shot attempts?
3: Well, part of it is who is he being defended by and what's the strategy? Right. And so Sacramento mm-hmm. mixed up their coverages way more. They they fronted AD more. They three quartered him a bunch. They sent help in a variety of ways. Um, we thought that AD's matchup with Sabonis was going to be favorable. And guess what? Mike Brown did too. And so he didn't put Sabonis on AD. <laughs> right. And he put Harrison mm-hmm. Barnes on him. And then they fronted the post. And then they yep. had guys leaking from the backside to disrupt entry passes. We do the same
2: thing, right? When we put a smaller player on a really good uh, opponent, we're going to front that
3: post, and then we're going to double. So that's what Brown did as, as well. Patrick Beverly did that to Kevin Durant pretty much the entire first mm-hmm. half, and it took uh, layers of adjustments from Brooklyn to get KD the ball. And what they started to do was like, all right, well, we're going to post him, but we're going to like basically make it a single side post where like, there's like no one even close to him so that the help angles are weird. And they – like. Brooklyn started to solve that. And then they also just started to get KD the ball like in the backcourt and just being like, hey, like, forget it. Like, we need you to have the ball. So we're just going to yep. give it to you as early as possible. And there was a possession, Mike, even where AD was just like, yeah, so I'm just going to face guard Kevin Durant in the backcourt. Right. Like, and like you didn't even see them on the screen <laughs> for like from the TV view. It was like a four on four game. One thing AD
2: said in his post-game press conference was like, yo, they played last night. And part of our strategy is just to wear KD down. And that's part of it. I'll p- pick you up in the backcourt. You're going to see a look of Pat Bev, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Troy Brown, like you said before the pod was really
3: good on him. And so, yeah, that and AD was a big part of that wearing him down. Yeah. So, Mike, I thought that against the Kings... They did a lot of the straight up like, oh, we're just going to get the ball to AD and he's just going to attack. And when he did get clean entries, he did attack and he scored well down the stretch of that game. The Lakers, I thought didn't necessarily have a lot of solutions to the problems that the Kings were presenting in terms of denying the ball to AD via the fronted post. And then also to what it looked like when he caught the ball and he got double teamed very quickly and very hard. And we saw some solutions to those in this Nets game because the Nets started to double team him too. And One of the things in getting back to AD, the player, Pete, like we talk about him a lot through the context of his scoring or his rebounding or his defense. I've seen a real improvement this season in his passing. Like he had a great skip pass to Austin. I think it was to Austin in the corner. It was to Austin. And Mm -hmm. the double came And it came from, it came from the baseline side, which is, I, I believe it came from the baseline side. And this is a double team Mm -hmm. that AD is typically struggled with when the double comes from the top AD knows that my read is either like one pass away out like right out to the same area in which the double team came. But when the double comes from the baseline, you have to pick out exactly where the read is because it's almost like a play action pass when you're a quarterback. Like your back is turned to where all of the defense is and those guys can confuse Mm -hmm. you on the back end by then jumping into passing lanes. And LeBron's an expert at this and he makes that pass all of the time, but AD does not typically make that specific pass to skip over the top against a two-on-one it's you have to pick out the right guy brooklyn thought he was going to throw to the above the break guy but he didn't he kicked it to austin instead and austin got a wide open three that he knocked down and ad also had a great pass to pat bev on a dive Mm -hmm. and pat bev mike he's not known as a cutter he told you that Preseason, where it's just like, hey, like the numbers say I'm not a good cutter. Well, last night the only shot he made was on a dive from AD. He had wide open numbers say he's not a good shooter right now. (laughs) He had wide open threes that he didn't knock down, Mike, but he hit the cutter.
1: It's just trying to help him out. Um, You know, he's been working for (laughs) Troy Brown. He's been cutting a couple things. So to wrap up the Brooklyn thing, because I want to talk about the Kings game too, and a couple of comments that you guys made. Brooklyn was pretty shorthanded. Seth Curry has been great since he returned uh, and hit four threes in the fourth quarter to help them beat the Clippers the day before hit nine shots. Overall Simmons didn't play. I don't think that hurt them uh, because he's been really bad, but they, you know, Patty Mills uh, was playing in a back to back, but he couldn't hit anything. And so all of a sudden Mm -hmm. this team that's supposed to have this terrific spacing just didn't have that much spacing around Kevin Durant. And he looked around and he kind of had to do everything himself and, and, so I thought that it was a bit. The Lakers have to be a little careful um, to think that they can just get AD, you know, to completely destroy in the paint for an entire game. The other team not really have anything to give to them, and the other team's going to wear down on a back to back. So it's it was a good win. AD definitely led the way. Um, Walker was huge, co- of course, hitting four or five threes. Reeves hit three of four threes. So there's a lot of stuff there um, that went well that went the right way finally this year for the Lakers. But then going back to the Kings game. And I agreed, like we were talking about AD and his performance overall in that one, which I thought was really good. And he had a good mindset. And that game, which AD detailed afterwards without necessarily naming Russell Westbrook, came down to a lot of just late quarter mistakes and unforced turnovers and sort of losing emotional control um, at different times. And I'm now, so we're back. We started the season, right? Talking a lot about those issues and Russ. And then as the season started, there were other issues with, with what's going on with LeBron at this year. Uh, how about AD? Could his level be higher? The role players either being in or out and not reliable. And now, to me, some of these issues have come back um, to, to Russ. And when his usage has to go, has had to increase, or at least in the team's mind or in his mind, with LeBron out and closing quarters. So I say that to, to get to Friday eventually. And with LeBron and with Schroeder, And then maybe that allows Westbrook's role to be minimized, which basically maximizes it as somebody who comes in off the bench and doesn't necessarily finish games or or, unless things are really going a certain way, right? And then you're, you're not getting into those situations where the Kings can just guard Anthony Davis a certain way, in part because Russ is the one that is initiating the action, which is back way off, go ahead and shoot the above the break three if you want. Otherwise, you're not going to be able. We're, we're just going to be able to rotate by the time you get rid of the ball because the guy's already got his foot in the paint, um, and he just has to take one step to get out to the shooter on the weak side of the court. And all of those issues to me, which you know, maybe Darvin Ham can finally get to what an idealized rotation and what an idealized group is, so that they can at least maximize. You know, what still a roster that still certainly has some flaws, but we've now seen enough bright spots. Uh, maybe that they can be better than what they've been, certainly.
2: Let's take a quick break. I want to zero in on that point that you made about Russ, because I think it's one of the puzzle pieces that are soon to be locked into place.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Eddie's
2: had a couple of quotes in uh, post-game press conferences where he's talked about taking second and third quarter shots in the fourth quarter. And I think that that's one of the things that you were saying, Mike, where you're like kind of speaking around Russ in this. But I think it's important to focus on Russ in when and what part of the game he's been really good for us. Because I would argue that if you watch his shifts closely and you break them down to when he's been good and when he's not, a very clear picture emerges for that – like the the end of that second quarter that you were referencing against the kings was just one of the most aggravating stretches really of the last couple of years we really he really just lit like seven points on fire during that stretch and so to lose that game very frustrating He's also carrying groups where it's like him and Wendy and Gabriel are the center of an offense that held its own. We were talking in the thread last night like, hey, they survived the non-AD minutes. and Russ being a part of that was like Russ was the the engine for that. He are on offense in particular. But then when we get to the closing groups and we saw this again last night, we had like three turnovers in the last minute and a half for two minutes of the second quarter. We've seen this multiple times at the closing of games that Russ isn't as helpful. And so that to me guys is one of the curious, like that's one of the curious next steps that I'm, that's one of the next steps that I'm curious to see is does Darwin go to a place where Russ, even if you're having a good game, right? Even if you've done a good job of controlling those bench units, because we had a 13-0 run D at the end of the Brooklyn game that really closed it. KD got hot. Brooklyn had fought back. It looked like one of those, ah, they were screwing around, but now they're playing good basketball. They're going to come back and beat the Lakers. Lakers closed that out. And if you watch the tape on that, that was Austin and Lonnie at the guard spot doing a lot of good work there. And they are fundamentally different types of players than Russ is. Lonnie's a little more like Russ because he's got kind of that power guard ability. But like Mike said, he hit four threes last night. And he's the kind of guy that can do that off of a pull up coming off of a screen, right? It's more of a smooth like catch and shoot type of thing. And so that is more what starting basketball looks like and closing basketball looks like to me, whereas the middle of the game is a looser style of basketball where that is really tailor made for Russ's game.
3: Yeah, I think, and this is where I'm also intrigued and interested in seeing how the return of Dennis Schroeder plays into this and what it looks like from the context of, of just a normalized guard rotation, um, as well as with LeBron healthy, who is going to eat up possessions as a ball handler, even if he's no longer going to be playing guard. You're right in that there are stretches in the second quarter, and I thought even in the first part of the fourth quarter where Russ has looked excellent. The first quarter
2: too, when he comes in at the seven minute yeah. mark, he's had multiple like eight to 10.23 assist
3: uh, first quarters because he just kind of injects a certain a level of life. He's been having these double digit assist games and it's not by accident, right? Like he had, he had mm-hmm. a couple of So this was Stu commented on this in the first half of the game because KD was really bothering Russ at the rim as like a shot blocker and Russ had driven in and the whistle had blown and the play was dead. But KD still creeped over and blocked the shot like at the like when the play was dead, just sort of like as one of those things where the same way that you bump a guy like at the end of the possession, like like I'm here. I'm always lurking. It was that sort of message. Stu, as he does a ton, totally recognized that for what it was. And he said, oh, there's KD again coming out of nowhere to try to block Russ's shot. Later on, we may see Russ do that same play, but create a shot for Wenyan Gabriel. And in the fourth quarter, that's exactly Mm -hmm. what happened. He, He found Gabriel. I don't even know how he, he like double or triple clutched this pass basically he elevated it looked like he was going to shoot he held the ball as long as he could and then he created a dump off angle for Gabriel who also helped create this dump off angle and Gabriel got a finish right right at the basket a possession later he drove hard again got downhill and threw a wicked pass to I think it was either Troy Brown or Lonnie Walker Troy Brown the, on the
2: wing, the one that he yes, skipped. Yeah, and he like, slung it across. Like going against the grain. And, and He's so good at that. It pass.
3: was a wide open shot. And these are, these are creating baskets out of nothing, Mike. And that is super important for a team that struggles to create good shots in general at times. Now, AD was beasting and that's great, but AD wasn't in the game at this point. And this was part of that, that survival group. The tricky part with Russ is you're also always cognizant of the fact that well, is there going to be a 2 minute stretch here where he he actually plays like one of the young players that AD describes at the end of games where he is making second and third quarter plays but in the fourth quarter he is he is trying to play fast and get downhill and attack the basket when in reality as AD has said himself Mike post game that maybe it's time to slow it up and create a better shot, right? And there is a i can't turn it off element to russ's game that is super helpful in some spots and is yeah, super he's, he's detrimental in our- yeah no and and, yeah, and it's so just
1: straight heat the whole game
3: that's right and that's th- right and so this puts the impetus on darvin ham to figure out and he needs to re- like this is a part of coaching russ that i think mm-hmm. is probably the most difficult part of coaching Russ. We could talk about like the ad, whatever attitude that he might have, or like the disregard, uh, whatever, who cares? My point is, is that there's a part in the game where it's like, you're hot at the blackjack table and you're like, okay, like we're going, we're going like, oh yeah. Like I'm hitting on 17 and it's a three, boom, right? And then the dealer busts and you're just like, we're on it right now. And then at you some- You hit p- on 17? No, I'm saying though, you're feeling so good about what's going on that it's just like, hey, like, like, <laughs> like I'm right, you're riding the wave. But at some point, Mike, That's right. the luck turns. And one of the things that Darwin has to do is, is he needs to, he needs to get up from the table And walk away with his winnings while he still has them. Mm
0: -hmm. And
3: that is a tricky thing with Russ. And I thought against the Nets, he did that. And I had said in the text thread, I thought the way that the game was going, the way that Austin was playing and the way that Lonnie was playing, I didn't think Darvin could actually go back to Russ to close that game based off of how the last two or three possessions that Russell Westbrook commandeered at the end of that last shift that he played in the fourth quarter, the combination of how those possessions went with how Lonnie and Austin were playing. I didn't think going back to Russ was going to be the best decision. And Darwin, he cashed his chips and he stayed with the group that did the thing for him rather than going back to Russ. And I think that is Pete. And Mike, the sort of game-to-game decision making that needs to happen with Russ, and and I'm intrigued and interested to see how Dennis returning and how the lineup being able to shake out how that's going to play into that.
1: Well, a couple other things to add on top of that: Max Christie, 21 minutes, took one shot, mm-hmm. but had nine rebounds uh, and mm-hmm. just basically played hard on defense, and I I've enjoyed that. Kendrick Nunn, you know. I, I don't Ugh. even know if we need to spend a lot of time on it. He's just struggling. and maybe it's it's monster stuff, man. yeah. it's maybe it's it's time for him to just get get a couple weeks, you know, to kind of like find himself and find his game and whatever that might be. And this coincides again with shooter coming back in anyway. But that so as mm-hmm. opposed to the whole, that's that's where Westbrook comes back into it because I think you can say at times, it'd be great to have, we know that Russ just has the fastball. So when the fastball isn't working and when the opponent has adjusted to that, they're sitting on it and they're waiting to hit it. Then you need to get them out of the game and put shooter in the game. Mm -hmm. It can't be none right with how he's playing Russ's fastball at this Mm -hmm. point, even when the other team is sitting on it's better than none. And, and that's just, that's just how it is. So I, I think that piece of the rotation um is pretty easy honestly to crystallize to crystallize and to view moving forward and then it really just becomes okay thomas bryant so can the lakers now play bigger pete um with thomas bryant returning and what would some of those personnel groupings look like um if they are going to go bigger
2: <laughs> that's
0: right did you like you the Lakers game it
2: was, it was Rick's first saying, Laker let's game, right? lakers
0: is that what you're saying
1: yeah.
2: Or not his first game, but it, it was his second game. Yeah, he went
1: once last year, but yeah, it was his first They're game. They're undefeated with Riggs in the building.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Riggs is undefeated yeah. as a Lakers attendee.
2: <laughs> so, with
3: TB, uh,
2: like the thing about going bigger is that is just something that I philosophically feel that we need to have a bigger look. But if you watch the games, like Darvin Ham has not shown much of an inclination to want to go in that direction, even when he can. Right. Like we talked after the Kings game, winning Gabriel was like a plus eight or a plus 10 in that game. Despite the loss, he started that game alongside Anthony Davis and they played well in those two man groupings. But who would we start? to start the Brooklyn game. When you went back to the bench, we put Austin in, and we were very small for a good portion of the game. And as we were saying earlier, Brooklyn is not the type of team that has the physical strength and size to really take advantage of that. So on a night like that, you need to get that win. I think that that's the way to go. But like in terms of the incorporation of Thomas Bryant and going bigger and all of that, that for me is wish casting until further notice, and until we see it in another direction. Uh, But I certainly hope it happens. Yes, it
3: is. It is wish casting. It's also a look that the team needs to have, and so I'll be interested to see if the coaching staff agrees with the sentiment that I know that I, or at least I think that we all agree with, from the perspective of the folks that are talking about this on this podcast. One of the things that Mike Broad brought up that I think is important. Two is I want to talk a little bit about Max Christie and I want to talk about that idea Mm. of like, oh, hey, look, a guy with positional size on the wing who does like role player things and does them at a level of competency that is just helpful to a basketball team. Forget a basketball team that is built the way that the Lakers are built. I think it's even more important to have that specific player on a team that's built around LeBron James and Anthony Davis right Whereas it's SIA like a 6'6 guy in the wing who actually plays bigger than that based off of like his fundamentals defensively and how he attacks the backboards especially onto the defensive glass and so Pete I said it last night, like Max Christie has been a revelation in his minutes just based off the fact that he competes hard on defense, plays with good size, can knock down an outside shot and just does his job. Like, this is the thing I'm asked to do. I'm not doing anything outside that. This is the lane that I'm in, and he's perfectly comfortable playing in that lane. There's not a lot of coloring outside the lines with him and when you're six six and can knock down a three and always has his hands up defensively, always. He was bothering the hell yeah. out of Patty Mills, just being like, mm-hmm. hey Patty Mills, you're five eleven or six foot, whatever you are. I'm six six and my hand is gonna be up all of the time. Like you see trainers always. do these drills, right? Where like the guy's holding like a broom or he's got one of those foam foam yeah. arms that's just up all of the time like hey this is the challenge look and i have it up all of the time well that's max christie he's always got that arm up Mm -hmm. all of the time and that presents just a a line of sight barrier and a comfort level disruptor to any offensive player was just like wait you're not supposed to be i i shouldn't have this feeling of being closed out on for Mm -hmm. 90% of the possession, but that's how Max Christie plays. It's just like, it's constant closeout form. And it seems to be bothering guys, right? He's picking up fouls and doing some other stuff, but he is Mm -hmm. also bothering dudes. And so like, that is another guard, Pete, or wing position. And so it's just like, I'm thinking of Russ and I'm thinking of all of this stuff. And, 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 And so how does it all fit together? You were talking about puzzle pieces snapping in to place. Christie looks like, hey, I'm a puzzle piece. Like, I seem to fit. Where can I get in here? And so what do you, both of y'all think about Christy?
1: It's been quicker than I thought. And I think that that's been because of a couple of things. One, that he's a real worker and he's gotten noticeably stronger just from being in front of him. I, I mentioned that the last time we talked about Christy. But that's one thing. And that also shows you sort of his age because there aren't that many guys that are like 26 or 27, that can just be, look, noticeably stronger in a couple months. But it shows that he's still growing and maturing. And, and then I think the part that's not as surprising, though, is that his, his IQ and kind of his attention to detail and how much he wants to defend. And he's not a big talker, necessarily. He's more of a listener, which is good for that age. I think as he grows, he'll become more vocal in that sense. But he's just trying to soak things up. And Austin's like that, too. So there those are some things that I think that makes sense that he's on the floor. And you know, now that the team like so his shooting has gotten better. He's not he's not going to be defended like Matt Ryan is just based on rap and all that, but the team shooting percentage has been fine. It's kind of been like what we would have expected. The last 8 games it's 36%, right, which is 12th in the in the league. The Lakers are still last in the NBA because of their just insanely cold start it's going to take them a while to d- dig out of the basement mm-hmm. when you start you know seven for 150 or whatever it was but they're now <laughs> basically shooting close to league average and i think that even mm-hmm. can allow you to play a guy like you don't have to just throw out those lineups with a quote-unquote shooter right just because you're so scared of the spacing that the other team is or the, or the lack thereof that the other team is going to give you
2: no 100 percent, and i like his development we were talking about this the other day like there's there's investment in that too right like it's not just a short term and when you see a guy that's that young that improves that much both in terms of his physical strength as you said but his jumper looks better he's and i think those Things are part and parcel. If you watched his jumper, and, and Rob spoke about this the night he was drafted, about like the percentages aren't there as a shooter, but really good rotation on the ball. He shoots a soft ball, as they say. Uh, but when we watched in summer league, you know, he was missing a lot of those short. But a guy like that gets a little bit stronger, gets in a NBA strength and conditioning type of program. All of a sudden, he's nailing those types of shots. But really, what it is is that consistent playing basketball correctly. Like when Darius was talking about his closeouts, that's out to me since the summer is that like he's like watching a coaching video where if you if you watch the old school uh, coaching videos shout out to championship productions produced a lot of great ones uh, and you know you got a coach standing there with some players that are kind of there to model whatever the coach is talking about and it's this you know close out technique and you've guy's gonna have that high he's gonna chop his feet get those high hands and And But when you watch an NBA game, the frequency that that happens, eh, that start happening more come playoff time and in bigger games or in stretches of the game where they really want to win or really want to close it out, which is part of the reason why the last five minutes of a game is just a different type of basketball than the rest of the game. And so Max to me fits, he's, I do think he's one of the puzzle pieces. I think he's a small one. I think he's somebody that ideally is not in the rotation, but is the guy that you plug in whenever you booze one of your guards in front of him. Um, And, but that said, there's still two other guards no matter who you choose that will be wanting playing time as well and so there are just so many things about this roster and our situation and the, the way the first part of the year is broke that really screams like hey we got to make a trade just to balance out the roster it's not even about like two future firsts or anything like that but i think the first part of this season was kind of tryouts and uh in some ways this four-day break between games is makes this kind of the, a, a segment where whatever darvin if darvin wanted to change anything thing up, this is the time to do it. And with Dennis Schroeder coming back, Thomas Bryant coming back, hopefully LeBron coming back. Um, and none of those are guaranteed. We're hoping those for Friday, like this is the time to incorporate them. And so uh, I, I hope Max is part of that. And I hope that he's that guy that fills in if, if we have, if we're missing a guy on a night.
1: So just schedule wise, they'll get today off. Then Tuesday, they'll have guys come in and do some individual stuff. And then they'll go over a couple of team defensive concepts. And then they'll have kind of real practices on Wednesday and Thursday. So those would be the time you know, that Pete was just getting at where, all right, we're here's Dennis is going to, we're going to try Dennis with the first unit, you know, on mm-hmm. Wednesday or and then on Thursday, we're going to try with the second unit. And, you know, we're going to kind of see how, how this works. Uh, and that to me is fascinating because that would then involve Patrick Beverly, who's basically been out there these last couple of games, just his main job you know, go guard, Paul George, go bother Kevin Durant. And then once you get in foul trouble, you know, go sit. If you have the occasional three <laughs> hit it, but that's, um, Dennis can't do that. He can't size up like that. Right. He's more mm-hmm. of that actual pure ball pressure guard, but you know, he could play next to Lonnie and Troy, and then you have LeBron and AD mm-hmm. and then Beverly just, I like it if there's a certain matchup, then, you know, but you could always bring Beverly in to give that guy a different look coming off the bench but we we can that's another pod as we like to say
2: we i think the three of us are on the same page from talking through uh where we're thinking with the return of dennis will be very interesting to see where that goes a lot of time to take stock this week uh a, a week without lakers basketball so we'll continue to do that tomorrow but until then you've been listening to the laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time
3: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. it's And yeah, The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It. It's on the left side. Kobe Bryant, 48 points,
1: 16 rebounds, Back with his
0: There's the, there's the move, goal. two, it's one, this Unbelievable, for victory, it's over. And shot out of five. Brian. yes! Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe, I mean what a shot, I mean you can't defend that, are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds
0: remaining, Denver a foul to give, Jokic